so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. I told you I'd work in a Lindsay Nicolay. Oh my word, that was so awkward. Good. Good. That's hilarious. That's I didn't you even deserve. get to hear that It was part so random, too. Off. That's what Lindsay does. <laughs> oh my word, it was so random. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me in the virtual studio today are my co-host, Lindsay Nicolay. Happy spring morning, everybody. Hey, Lindsay. It is a happy spring morning. And also with us today is our, I don't know what to call you, other co-host. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Ever Faithful is this thing I've developed, and I just can't get away from it. We've only been, we've only been doing this for a year. The ever faithful Brent Leatherwood. That's right, Lindsay. And April showers bring May flowers in the springtime. Man, you guys are just way to put a positive spin on it, Brent. That's right. So, look, it's an exciting day to do a podcast. We are right here in the middle of spring. There has been a ton of stuff going on in the world of culture and excited to get into all of that. Uh, Later in the show, we're actually going to talk to a special guest. Uh, Dr. Todd Gray, who leads the Kentucky Baptist Convention. And so we're excited to talk to him about some uh, recent developments in the state of Kentucky that the Kentucky Baptists have been instrumental in trying to support. And so we'll get into all of that later in the show. Lindsay, so that we can get into it, tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. Recently, you may have seen a story about declining church membership uh, on the internets, the webs, the Twitters, the Facebooks, whatever else are out there. So naturally, we wanted to cover that. And our colleague, Alex Ward, wrote a really helpful article titled, How Can We Understand Trends of Declining Church Membership, America, Christianity, and the Local Church? So he seeks to answer this question, is this a bad thing? Does this mean that, you know, Christianity is gone in America, is on the decline? And um, interestingly, according to this recent study, this is where the news came from and the impetus for the article, a recent study by Gallup showed that church membership had dropped below 50% for the first time in their 80 years of studying religion. And Alex notes that the decline noted by Gallup is not a new phenomenon. He does talk about the crisis of institutions, the lack of trust there, especially as we've seen, for instance, the abuse crisis within Catholicism and Protestantism, how uh, this generation is wanting authentic community and how they have a lack of trust in churches. But the good news is that um, even though church membership is declining— as Alex tells us, religious beliefs still remain strong. So he ends the article just as a call to the church to be a place of hope and community that heralds the gospel and really, truly lives it out. 
which is exactly why we exist as the ERLC, to help us apply the gospel to all areas of our life, because it has a bearing on our lives and our lives should be transformed. And um, and that's what we can be through the power of the Spirit. So I urge you to go to ERLC.com and uh, read Alex's article for a better understanding of this study. Lindsay, I thought this was a really great article. And honestly, I won't spend too much time talking about it just because we did have a pretty great conversation about this theme in the last episode. So, you know, not to like refer people back to our own work, but I would really encourage people if, if you're curious at all about some of the discussions surrounding this topic, it was, I think, at the top of the episode last week that we got into it. But this was a really, really helpful article from Alex following up on those themes. The next article I want to highlight was really convicting to me. And it's by Jordan Wooten. He's one of our interns, and he's also one of our channel editors. It's titled, How Can Christians Resist the Ethic of Outrage Culture? And you know, again, if you've spent any time online, outrage is in right now. And there doesn't seem to be the practice of civil discourse and of kindness toward one another, especially those with whom we disagree online. So Jordan calls us uh, to the way of wisdom, and especially as Proverbs directs us. He calls us to resist this outrage culture, to have humility, to have charity, and um, toward looking at ourself first and foremost and inward toward our own hearts and our own indwelling sin before, like Jesus says— uh, we look at the speck in one in someone else's eye. We look at the log in our own eye. So I was greatly helped by this article. I was really convicted uh, by this article. And this is what Jordan says at the very end. Brothers and sisters, may we be a people who embody the ethic of God's kingdom, not that of outrage culture. May we be a people who keep the commands of Jesus, all of them. And humbly, may we begin by loving our neighbors and hating our sin. You know, I'm so glad that Jordan tackled this for us. And, you know, if you're a little bit older— uh, and growing up, you used to read comments in newspapers uh, or talk to people who who worked in you know big businesses, retail, whatnot, who received phone calls from customers. And a lot of times, the only people who wrote in or called in were, were people who had complaints. Rarely did you hear from the customer who was incredibly satisfied or really happy with the way things that are going. And the way that our culture is going, and so much of it, I, I would submit, is uh, being affected by the the social media uh, world that we find ourselves in. Only the most outrageous voices out there are the ones that garner attention, and that is just that is just filtering through all the different levels of our society right now. So much so that you know, even before we went on air, we were we were talking uh, about a situation where a person who's in the the public spotlight out there uh, had sent something out through uh, one of their uh, social media accounts. And we just know that there are a lot of other organizations out there that are making hay with this and, um, you know, just trying to, you know, lambaste uh, this person for having put out this thing, which has actually since been taken down. And, you know, our audience, like, you need to know that not only is it it filtering out through culture, but there are so many organizations out there that seemingly exist right now to just whip you into a storm of outrage over something. And sometimes, y'all, it's just a, it's just an accident. Or it's just a mistake. And I'm thankful that at the RLC, we don't do that or we will only point you to something that is truly outrageous when it actually is. Not to just get clicks, 
not to just get retweets, not to just get likes, uh, but to actually helpfully point uh, our audience, uh, our Christian audience, to a time where it's, hey, you need to you need to sit up and and pay attention to this. Uh, but otherwise, we should be known for for grace. We should be known for kindness, and we should be noticed for like helpfully pointing people uh, to the truth. And that's just that is that is not in vogue right now in this outrage culture that we find ourselves living in. Brent, that was um that was really great, man. And as Christians, uh, we want to say that. And you know, as West Wing fans, we want to say the same thing. There's a great lesson that we learned from uh, Admiral Percy Fitz Wallace, who once told Leo, who was the chief of staff, Fitz Wallace was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and he said, "You know, I've got some real battles to fight in this life, Leo. I don't have time for the cosmetic ones." And I think we can all benefit from that. When you look at something, you're tempted to be outraged. Ask yourself, is this a real problem or is this a cosmetic problem? Because those are not the same thing. To borrow a phrase from our very own Josh Wester, that's exactly right. Many of the things we're outraged by uh, are not even controversies, not even things biblically that we should be outraged by. And so we need to reserve our outrage for the more serious things. And moving on, our final piece that I wanted to highlight is actually a book review by Jared Kennedy, who is one of our channel editors. And this book might not initially appeal to you, but I, I think it's really important. So it's titled, Are You Working on Your Kids Ministry? Thinking Through Process-Centered Methods for Children Discipleship. And actually, I think this will benefit anyone who works with children. That includes parents in the home, aunts and uncles. Um, that includes people like Josh's wife, who is who works at our church in kids ministry. And he's talking about during the pandemic, you know, everything changed about kids ministry. And now as things are starting to open back up, kids ministries are opening back up and looking at reopening plans and what are things going to look like as we're heading back into the new normal. But he also challenges us and says that many people who work in kids ministry work in the ministry, but they don't work on the ministry. And so he takes a look at this book titled Bridging Theory and Practice in Children's Spirituality and looks at the different ways that people have handled children's ministry and approached it over the years and lands on one that the authors recommend called the process-centered approach. And basically, it's where adults and children come alongside each other and learn together and some of the benefits that he highlights are these. A process-centered approach finds freedom to engage the Bible's more difficult stories without having all the answers. It doesn't merely tell children what to think. It cultivates their affection and higher-level thinking skills. And then it encourages active engagement with children while they play. And who of us, in whatever roles we're in with children, don't need that and don't want to encourage that in our children and also in ourselves? And so he he goes on to talk about how we can embrace uh, working on our children's ministry without losing the gospel as well, which we know is of utmost importance. And this may, it may sound technical, but it's actually really helpful. And I would recommend uh, that you take a look at this. You don't have to read the book because Jared's done such a great job, although you could if you wanted to. But I think that this will whet your appetite for how to engage um, better with the children that are in your lives. Look, I've said it a bunch of times on this podcast, so I'll say it uh, once more. Jared Kennedy is my favorite thinker when it comes to theologically informed kids ministry. Uh, he is so passionate about this particular area of ministry, about taking the gospel and the scriptures and the Christian tradition and making it accessible and relevant to uh, to children and 
focused on their their own spiritual formation and equipping uh, children's pastors and parents and others to really minister well and teach uh, the uh, traditions of our faith well to the next generation. And so uh, this particular article, including so many resources uh, that are available uh, through our website, through Jared, are just so worthwhile. And so if you work in kids ministry or you are uh, thinking about uh, how to do discipleship for the next generation, uh, this this is something in addition to Jared's broader body of work uh, to certainly look into. And like I said, it it has benefits for all of us because all of us are pouring in to the next generation, whether we do that in a formal way or an informal way, uh, we're doing that. And so we need to think through what that might look like and how we can better do that and be faithful to the gospel and faithful to the Bible. I want to invite you to check out all the other resources that we have on our site this week to browse through and find what it is that's going to meet you where you are. As always, we're glad to be able to serve you in this way. But for now, Josh and Brent, that's your look at what's happening at ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And that brings us to the culture section for the week. So Brent, tell us what's going on. All right, well, we start this week's look at culture with a jarring incident that has uh, occurred in Rock Hill, South Carolina. So CBS News is reporting that a gunman has killed five people, including a prominent doctor and his grandchildren in South Carolina, prompting an hours-long search that led to a suspect in a nearby home, the York County Sheriff's Office said. A source who was briefed on the investigation told the Associated Press the gunman was former NFL player Philip Adams, who uh, killed himself early on Thursday. We have now seen a string of these devastating high-profile events over the last week that, that we have talked about here on the podcast previously. And, you know, these communities uh, are often rocked uh, by these, these horrific mass shooting events. Well, in that uh, context, uh, President Biden is announcing on Thursday uh, gun reforms. So ABC News is reporting this, that President Biden will announce limited steps using his executive power to address gun violence on Thursday, three weeks after three mass shootings and the same day as this shooting in Rock Hill, South Carolina, uh, and is noting that he is under pressure to act. Biden is expected to announce six actions, according to senior administration officials, including asking the Department of Justice to issue a proposed rule to help stop the rise of so-called ghost guns within 30 days. Those firearms are assembled from parts purchased online that don't have serial numbers and are difficult to track and are unregulated. President Biden will also call for investments in evidence-based community violence intervention, asked the DOJ to publish model red flag legislation for states within 60 days, and issue a new annual report on firearms trafficking, which hasn't been done since 2000. Uh, the report goes on to note that there is nothing related to you know, so-called uh, assault rifles uh, in these actions, and there will be no legislative proposal from Biden on that, though senior administration officials stress that these are only initial actions. So there's certainly a lot uh, occurring in this area. No doubt that this uh, most recent uh, news out of Rock Hill, South Carolina, uh, will we'll, we'll certainly add uh, to um, just the, the conversation uh, around gun violence and, and what, uh, if anything, should be done to try and curb it uh, at the federal level. And of course, obviously, our, our prayers uh, go out to all those people in the community in Rock Hill, South Carolina, that are affected by this. Yeah, the truth is, Brent, it's just awful. 
I mean, it's, it is so deeply sad and disturbing. And I think as Christians, we are going to hold a, a wide range of opinions about uh, the subject of, of guns and, and gun reform. Uh, what we should all be able to agree to is the fact that we are tired uh, of and weary of seeing story after story and community after community uh, ravaged by gun violence in all of its forms and contexts. And that if there is some pathway toward meaningful reform that can limit effectively without, you know, without eliminating constitutional freedoms, but can effectively curb the rate of these awful and devastating events, we should, we should support that. And if you're a person who feels totally unequipped to contribute to that conversation, that's okay. One of the things that you can actually do is pray about the situation, to pray that God would give wisdom to uh, legislators and those who would be speaking into this conversation, that they would be able to achieve some meaningful and effective kinds of reforms, whatever those might be. Well, and the other thing we can agree on while we work hard in the public square to be able to protect people and protect our citizens um, from these tragic events, I just wish there was a way to just snap our fingers and make these things cease we can agree that as complex as these issues are, we ulti- we know the reason these horrible events exist in our in our world are because of the fallenness of humanity, because of sin. And we know the answer to that. We know the remedy to that. And we know that that is Christ and our salvation in Him and His the penalty He paid for our sin on the cross. And and as believers, we know the hope of transformation uh, because of the Holy Spirit. And we know the hope of redemption and all things being made new when Christ returns. So in a world that is clamoring for answers as to why this evil exists, um, we can be the ones that stand there um, holding out hope. And as Peter says, ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. It's a good word, Lindsay. Thank you. All right. So on the coronavirus front, uh, CNN is reporting that the coronavirus variant first identified uh, across the pond in the UK, is now the most common strain of coronavirus in the US, according to the CDC. Uh, From Rochelle Lewinsky, who is the director of the CDC, she says, based on our most recent estimates from CDC surveillance, the B117 variant is now the most common lineage circulating in the US. Studies have suggested that the UK variant is more contagious than the original strain and is possibly more dangerous and associated with a higher risk of death. So that is all the more important because of news that is being reported by the website uh, Stat News. Months after being diagnosed with COVID-19, one in three patients also had experienced a psychiatric or neurological illness, mostly mood disorders, but also strokes or dementia, a large new study shows about one in eight patients were diagnosed for the first time with such an illness, most commonly anxiety or depression, compared to control groups of people who had the flu or other non-COVID respiratory infections. First ever neuropsychiatric diagnoses were almost twice as high. So, uh, you know, we've talked before on the podcast about you know COVID uh, leading folks to experience what's known as like brain fog. Um, there have certainly been folks, uh, that, that we know of who have been kind of depressed, uh, after they've dealt with COVID. Uh, so, I mean, this is a very serious disease. It feels like we're, we're still just learning 
more and more about the, the ways that it affects people uh, who have gotten it. And that, that's just incredible now that, you know, we're well over a year into uh, dealing with COVID-19. I saw in the news this morning that those who are suffering most from this strain are 30 and 40-year-olds. And they had a doctor on who was talking about this, that that's, that's the age of the patients he's seeing in the ICU, not that all the patients end up there. But it's just an interesting next step in the, in the coronavirus because whereas older people were affected and maybe they have been vaccinated and that's why they're not affected as much, now it's 30 to 40-year-olds, which is knocking on my door because I am right smack in the middle of there. Uh, the other thing that you mentioned, Brent, about the one in three suffering from a psychiatric or neurological illness, we have a gentleman that writes for us who is over a ministry that serves children and teens with mental illnesses. So he's an expert in this area. And he commented and said that this is true of his experience, especially with as he's working with teens. The teens who have had COVID he sees this to be true. So like you said, we don't need to be fearful and be fear-mongering, but it's such a mysterious illness. And I think that that's what, that's what scares me the most about it. And I think we're well into the future. We're going to be learning more and more about this new virus. No, absolutely. And I am, uh, I'm just thankful for all the, the doctors and, and scientists that are trying to work to just figure out all the various ways uh, that this is uh, affecting people, whether it is physically or or mentally. All right, so uh, keeping with that theme, overseas, COVID is taking a particularly harsh toll in one South American nation. Axios is reporting that Brazil confirmed more than 4,000 COVID-19 deaths in a 24-hour period for the first time on Tuesday, uh, the health ministry announced. A surge in cases and deaths, driven in part by relaxed mitigation measures and a more contagious local variant, has overwhelmed the country's health system. In fact, reports show that coronavirus patients are occupying more than 90% of ICU beds throughout most of the Brazilian states. That's just incredible. So the, the Brazilian president, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, was asked about this in NBC News reports, he said on Wednesday, that there would be no national lockdown, ignoring growing calls from health experts a day after the nation saw its highest number of COVID-19 deaths in a 24-hour period. He said, quote, we're not going to accept this politics of stay home and shut everything down, Bolsonaro said, resisting the pressure in a speech in the city of Chapeco in the Sena Canarina uh, state. There will be no national lockdown, he said. So it's just, it's amazing. Uh, countries are, are still uh, dealing with this and figuring out the ways to do it. And, you know, that's not to say that a national lockdown is definitely the way to go or local lockdowns are, but obviously this is still ravaging uh, the country of Brazil. And, uh, you know, we've got a number of missionaries uh, that are down serving in Brazil that are trying to navigate the complexities of uh, a different national government and its response and local governments. And um, it's just something we need to be keeping an eye on, uh, because as we have seen, uh, the, this disease can spread very quickly uh, throughout uh, the world. And who knows if this particular uh, variant will will end up affecting all of us here at home in America. So COVID restrictions are also playing a role in unrest on the other side of the globe in Northern Ireland. This is a country that the ERLC has called uh, quite a bit of attention to uh, over uh, the last year or so and will continue to do. 
CNN is reporting that parts of Northern Ireland saw their sixth consecutive night of violence in the middle of this week as unionists and nationalists clashed with police and with each other. And those terms stem from the troubles uh, when Northern Ireland separatists and unionists uh, who were siding with UK were clashing throughout much of the 20th century. Uh, So CNN goes on to report that unrest first broke out last week amid rising tensions relating to Brexit and unionist anger over a decision by police not to prosecute leaders of the Irish Nationalist Party, Sinn Féin, for allegedly breaking coronavirus restrictions during the funeral of a former leading IRA figure. In West Belfast on Wednesday, rioters clashed along with the so-called peace line dividing predominantly unionist and nationalist communities. So, I mean, there was a bus that was taken over and set ablaze uh, in the streets of West Belfast. So, look, tensions are riding high, it seems like, all over the globe right now. But, uh, you know, Northern Ireland is something, you know, the URLC, we've got a heart for that area uh, because of some of the recent moves that have been made uh, to allow abortion to occur there. And, uh, you know, we're, we're planning big efforts to equip them with ultrasound machines and uh, an international pro-life event there. Uh, So certainly this is something we're going to be paying attention to. Yeah, Brent, this just kind of calls to mind the global fatigue. You know, we so often are thinking about what's going on here in the United States as far as like all all of us, and I, I imagine most of our podcast listeners, you know, all of us are tired of all of the measures, the things that have come along with COVID from early in uh, the, you know, a year ago, we were talking about quarantine and lockdowns and we're at home and we're wiping down our groceries. And then it's just been, I mean, it's been a year of just death and isolation and all of us, regardless of how much your life has restarted, we're still seeing the effects of all of this. Well, looking at this internationally, um, what they have going on in Brazil is quite frankly, terrible. I mean, the worst month of the pandemic for us in the United States was in January. We had, I think, six days in January where the death toll crossed 4,000. They're looking at a death toll of 4,000 in Brazil, and their population is barely half of what our population is here in the United States. So it is terrible. So you see that going on in Brazil, and then you also see this stuff going on in Northern Ireland. And, you know, th- those are just two other countries. There, There is this kind of strain and unrest going on all across the globe. And God willing, these vaccines and a few more months down the road, we will hopefully be looking at brighter days ahead. But, yeah, it's it's just really sad. And And thank God that we have seen the vaccine progress we've seen here in the United States. All right. And on a lighter note, March Madness came to a stunning conclusion this week. CBS Sports reports the only opponent Gonzaga could not beat was its last. The previously undefeated Bulldogs took their first loss of the season, falling 86-70 to uh, fellow number one seed Baylor on Monday in the NCAA tournament championship game. This was, I mean, nobody expected this because Gonzaga was just rolling through opponents uh, throughout the season, and uh, they met their match, though, with the Baylor Bears, uh, the number two team in the country, which actually, this is the first time in several years that the number one uh, seed and the second best team in the country actually met in the championship game. So that that actually was a pretty satisfying conclusion, and it followed 
a really great story on the women's basketball side of things. Stanford University uh, took home the championship the night before in the women's championship game. And it was the first, I want to say it was the first win for Stanford University uh, in 29 years on the women's side. And, you know, they've got a great historic program on that side. All good Tennesseans know this as uh, big Lady Vol supporters as we are. But uh, anyways, uh, the college basketball season is over. Josh, I know being the North Carolina fan that you are, there was some there was some other heartbreaking news uh, that also filled your or emptied your college basketball heart. Yeah. So, look, I was really stoked about the outcome of the men's national championship, seeing the Baptists dominate the Catholics. That just did it for me in the best way. And, uh, you know, (laughs) as a proud, proud and lifelong Baptist here, uh, man, I've never been a bigger Baylor fan than I was this week. Uh, Also, uh, sticking with uh, some of those themes of faith and sports. So we talked about Roy Williams announced he was retiring as the head coach of the UNC Tar Heels basketball team. And that was just devastating to me. And he did it on April 1st, which would made it even worse because then you just kept hoping that it wasn't true and it wasn't real. But in any case, it is real. And their assistant coach, Hubert Davis, has been announced as the new head coach of the men's Tar Heel basketball team. And I got to tell you, I didn't know a ton about Hubert Davis. So I just kind of did some digging in. And uh, guys, it's exciting. As a Christian, looking at a person who has not only like a a stellar uh, track record as a coach, but just a couple of these things that I'll highlight for you. You didn't know this was coming, but here it is. Uh, So personally, like one of my family members actually used to nanny for his family. So you think I would have been paying more attention, Uh, but just speaks in the most glowing terms about him as a family man, as a husband, as a father, uh, and just in the way that he treats people. Uh, More than that, he is a deeply committed Christian man of faith who has for years now led a Bible study for the players on the team and has been faithful and consistent with that in the years where they've had very few participants and has been committed to it when it has been flourishing and thriving. He is somebody who, this really stuck out to me as well, at the senior nights, you know, when they recognize uh, senior uh, Tar Heel players uh, as they're finishing their careers, he is consistently the man that they think and turn to as having made such a huge difference in the trajectory of their lives and to shaping them into the men that they have become. And so exciting things ahead for the Tar Heels, but mostly look, that's the kind of person, people who have that kind of commitment and integrity and uh, spiritual maturity, that those are the kind of people I want to see lifted up and given opportunities in, in every area of life. And I'm really excited to see it at my favorite team. And on a lighter note, The best part about Baylor winning was all of the Baptist jokes going around on Twitter. So our friend Dean tweeted, they're burning shiplap in Waco tonight. So if you're familiar with Chip and JoJo, uh, then you'll get that reference. Our friend Dan had a couple. Baptists are playing like there's a potluck after. Baptists are playing like the roast is going to burn. Baptists played like there was a run on Welch's at Kroger. Grape juice, I guess, for communion. I didn't get that. It took me a minute. Till I read it. Uh, so that was fun. And uh, also before that, Brent, you didn't mention Gonzaga's amazing win in the final four, which if you saw the last shot to, so that they won in overtime was incredible. I would encourage you to go uh, and be sure to look that up. But yes, yeah, sad I really, that March I re- Madness I really is thought, over. I really thought UCLA had that game. I mean, it just felt like it was theirs and they were going to surprise everybody. Well, and everyone's saying... 
everyone was saying that's the best college basketball game they had ever seen, including Charles Barkley, who I love to watch during this time of the year. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's great. Well, so now we officially move on to baseball season, which is really the the greatest season. Although we are going to pause over this weekend to enjoy the Masters, which I got to tell you, I love me Masters weekend. So, um, really, really thankful that we we're in a we're in a high point in terms of sports uh, in the calendar year. So. If you love naps, then we're at a high point. No, <laughs> as no, far as no, the sports no. calendar goes. Oh gosh, gosh. All right. Well, uh, Lindsay, Josh, that's your look at this week in culture. So now we're about to talk to Dr. Todd Gray. Dr. Gray is the executive director of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, which is one of our vital partners here at the ERLC for the gospel work that we do through the Southern Baptist Convention. And we are really excited to talk to Dr. Gray today. Well, Dr. Gray, we're excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. As we're getting started, would you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? And would you also tell us one thing that God is teaching you in this particular season of life and ministry? Yeah, thanks, Josh. And and thanks for inviting me to to join the podcast. So I grew up in Kentucky, married to uh, Connie. We have two daughters, grown daughters, just past college age. We have a dog that's 16 years old and needs a lot of attention at this season in, in his in his life. Um, pastored for 20 years, worked with KBC going on nine years, and I've been in the current role for about two years as executive director. So what I do is try and give direction to an organization, a state convention that represents 2,360 churches, a mission board staff of about 60 people, uh, a budget that's aimed at one mission of created by churches, for churches, to help churches reach Kentucky and the world for Christ. And so we are constantly brainstorming, working, laboring to discover how we can best help the con- churches of Kentucky Baptist Convention carry out their mission. One thing the Lord's teaching me, Josh, second part of your question was to uh, uh, get the big rocks on the calendar and still pay attention to Proverbs 16, verse 9. My demand plans his ways, but the Lord directs his, directs his steps. It seems like whatever you schedule, something else tries to push it off. And man, if you want to get the big things done, you, you better, get them, better get them scheduled. And that's become abundantly clear during this year with the pandemic, huh? So that's just such a good lesson for us this last year, but then always. So Dr. Gray, this podcast focuses on Christians and culture. So can you tell us what things in culture you and those around you are paying attention to right now? Yes. So in Kentucky, we're paying attention to abortion laws, just probably like every other Christian organization across the country. We're we're watching what's happening. We, We are hoping that uh, Roe versus Wade will be overturned. We'd love to see that happen in the Supreme Court, knowing that if it does, that we wouldn't abortion wouldn't be abolished or legalized abortion wouldn't be abolished. We just now have um, a bunch of different state positions on it. So we're watching what's what's happening there, praying daily for the day that legalized abortion would be abolished in in America. And I I pray that for our our state. I believe it's the greatest human rights atrocity of our day. I really believe that if um, if if the world continues that future generations will look back and and just be amazed that we actually had clinics that would take the life of a, a, a child, and that was legal in our in our country, in our state. We're watching the Equality Act. You know, we hear possibly it will not pass in the, in the Senate. Hopefully it will not pass in the Senate, but it's very, very concerning as an infringement on, on religious liberty or religious liberties. We have a great attorney general in the state, Att- Attorney General Daniel Cameron, who's really working hard to defend religious liberty at every opportunity. Um, paying attention to evangelism in this culture 
and how the the shift toward the the strong strong shift toward defense of LGBTQ plus rights and how that impacts ministry. Um, we're seeing on the, on the college campus this the case out of Georgia recently where the student was able, not LGBTQ, but just his his religious liberties to preach the gospel and not have to do it in a little, you know, two-foot square space or whatever the size was that he he received the dollar that he was asking for, and that was encouraging. But just cases like that, so same thing everyone else is watching, abortion, religious liberty issues, these equality matters, and, and then, of course, race issues as well, Watching watching those. Well, that was a that was a great question from Lindsay because it segues perfectly into my question. And honestly, that's that's what Lindsay does. Uh, she just helps us move uh, transition from one thing to the other. So, you know, you noted about these uh, developments on the pro life front in Kentucky uh, as the leader of a, a large and influential organization there, like the KBC. So, you know, as you said, you're obviously supportive of these moves as as we all are. But how do you increase awareness and build momentum on an issue like this uh, among Christians? Yeah, great, great question, Brent, and thanks for asking. And Lindsay, by the way, thank you for keeping things moving. It sounds like you're providing a great great uh, help for the, everyone else on, on this podcast. Well, uh, House, somebody has to keep them on track. <laughs> there you go. Uh, House Bill 91 was passed recently in, in our uh, assembly, which puts in our uh, brings to a vote a constitutional amendment that we put in our state constitution that there is no there is no right in our constitution for abortion or for the funding of of abortion that no no future supreme court can find that right in our constitution so that was an encouraging development uh, that we're working with a kind of an alliance i think i'd say of other kind of like-minded groups who really want to see abortion legalized abortion abolished in our state Working together with them now, this bill is passed in the the House and Senate, you know, signed yesterday by our Secretary of Secretary of State. It'll be voted on in 2022, and so the idea between now and then is an uh, an education effort to try and uh, alert folks that that we're saying that our Constitution does not uh, leave room for abortion, and then also eventually, um, you know, uh, an urge for people to. To get out and vote and do what they're they're asked to asked to do for this and uh, Kentucky Baptists are we're pro life people we've not been necessarily organized around the issue we've uh, stood up an organ or a, kind of an effort or an initiative called Friends of Life Kentucky which is aimed at trying to do that very thing to advocate for life to take action uh, for it to just be involved in the the movement. We have an incredible group of leaders. Uh, what's interesting about this group is that many of the folks who are part of a task force are actually part of crisis pregnancy care centers across the state. So they care deeply about both sides of the matter. They care for the life of the unborn child, and they care deeply for the the family that's making what feels to them like an impossible decision. So we're we're hoping to go at it in in that direction. And Brent, I'd add one more thing. So we heard yesterday, we were with a gathering where this bill was signed and then a, another group afterwards. One of our state uh, Kentucky House representatives indicated the importance of Christians speaking out to them on these matters. She referenced uh, something else that was before the, the, the House for a vote and said she would receive 100 emails or phone calls 
in favor of the issue and sometimes looking for one from from someone who was asking her, please don't vote for this or please vote against this. And, you know, her position was, look, I'm on your side. I'm I'm for these values, but I sure need to hear from somebody. And then she would say about her colleagues that her colleagues would say, I haven't heard from anybody telling me not to be supportive of, of this. So that was just a, a, a fresh reminder of the importance of asking our folks to man, be sure and interact with these with with these elected leaders. They need to hear from us on the issues that matter to us. No, you're absolutely right, Dr. Gray. And, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, we we try and uh, make sure that our audiences know, right? I mean, we are Christians who are called to live in, in this time, in this moment, and, and we want them to practice uh, good, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll still on from uh, someone else that we've referred to, good civic hygiene by uh, participating uh, in the public square and letting the elected officials that represent them uh, know uh, how they feel about particular issues. And so, man, that is, that's great to hear. It's certainly affirming uh, to hear that that's going on under your leadership in Kentucky. And it doesn't take many voices to make a difference. You know, that I think that was probably eye-opening to me that sometimes it's just one or two or three well-placed emails or phone calls at the right time that really can help uh, help an elected leader get over the, get over the hump on, um, on very important, very important matters. Well, and that's a good segue into the next question. It seems like maybe that's a leadership lesson that you've learned during this time. It doesn't take many voices. And we're thankful for leaders like you who are shepherding other leaders in order to make these changes. And since August 2019, you've led the KBC and you've served in a number of different ways through challenging times. So can you share some more leadership lessons that you've learned? Yeah, so lot, lots of things. You know, one would be you never know what's you never know what's coming. I mean, we've had the pandemic, we've had floods in Kentucky, we've had uh, snowmageddon. Someone said the locusts are coming this year, so we really have no idea what's what's out in front of us. But Lindsay, a couple of things. Uh, one is for me, what's important is listen to lots of people. That there are a lot of different voices, and if if we'll pay attention to what folks are saying, we may very well hear what our 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 churches. Our pastors are, are really telling us that they need from us. Our mission is one of support. We're created by churches for churches to help churches reach Kentucky and the world for Christ. And so our team members are all the time trying to pay attention to what are the needs in our state that our state convention, mission board staff, that we are uniquely positioned and equipped and able to, to carry out for, for them. So listening to lots of people is important for any leader, whether you're leading a church or a, you know, a business that's trying to make a profit or an organization like the Kentucky Baptist Convention. A second one is that, that uh, man, folks want leadership. People really want someone to go out in front and say, look, this is where, this is where I think we need to go. And it's where I believe the Lord wants us to go. And l- let's see if we can go there together. So in, in Kentucky, one of the things we heard folks saying was that they really wanted us to lead out in a, a statewide gospel evangelism initiative. And we listened to them. We've developed something called Gospel to Every Home, which has as at its goal to deliver the good news of Jesus to 1,728,681 homes in Kentucky. It has three phases to it. The first one was to have all those homes adopted. And that phase is pretty much completed. We're at 98.5% of that phase. And by adopted, we mean that an association, 65 of the 69 of our associations, have not only agreed to hit, take the gospel to those homes with their churches, but they've received the materials to do it. So the materials have been delivered or are being delivered for 98.5% 
of that total goal. And our state was asking for that that leadership, that no church could do that by itself in Kentucky, no association, local Baptist association carried out by itself. But the state convention was poised to give leadership to it where all of us partnering together cooperatively could carry it out. And then the third leadership lesson for me, probably in this role especially, is that we really can do big things, that we can do big things and we can do big things together, that we we should have a goal of seeing legalized abortion abolished in, in Kentucky. That's not that's not unrealistic, and we should pray for it and work for it. We're leading an effort in the fall referred to as calling out the called. One of the great needs in Kentucky is that about 60 or 65% of our churches are served by bivocational pastors. Many of the, ch- the, the churches that, that are relying on a bivocational or a co-vocational pastor has found that the pipeline is empty, that there's no one in their area who is qualified to step in and, and lead their church. And so it's caused them, to, in some cases, to have to look outside of Baptist circles. And so what we're trying to do is work with across the state, listening to other leaders, developing something that will help folks respond to the call of God and get the basic training that they need to start serving in, in, a, in a church. So those are some things for me that have just kind of stood out probably during this, this first year and a half in this role. I mean, it seems clear by your answer that that churches in Kentucky are are really thriving uh, and flourishing under your own leadership, and and that's all the more remarkable in this season where we we've, we've all just in in many ways just had to survive, and uh, and so that's great, and uh, I'm just again just really thankful for for what you're doing there. So, all right, so given. Uh, you know, that last answer had a lot of depth to it. Uh, for this last question, we try and go a little more lighthearted. Uh, so tell us, what's it like first as a Kentucky native to lead your home state's convention? And then how on earth do you navigate that most important of theological divides, UK versus Louisville? Well, that's a that's a good question, Brent. And, and um, so the first part of it, Growing up in Kentucky, I mean, I literally grew up in a tobacco patch. I mean, honestly, my dad took tobacco land, land where tobacco was grown, and built a house in the middle of it. He did manage to find other property on our farm to raise tobacco, which uh, could have kept me out of trouble, but it seemed, didn't seem to manage uh, to, to do that. Um, I love West Kentucky barbecue. I don't care what anybody says, any part of the country, there's no better barbecue than West Kentucky pulled pork. If there's not smoke coming out of something, that's not barbecue. So that helps me in the state. I'm aware of the theological landmines of landmarkism, which is a pretty big deal in, in Kentucky uh, with some roots in probably in, um, in, in West Kentucky. And I'm also aware that I live in a, amongst the big blue nation. So this would help with your second part your question, UK versus Louisville. We are a big tent convention. We have four tent pegs that hold us together. One of those is a high view of scripture. The second one is a commitment to finding our doctrinal distinctives inside the Baptist faith and message. Third one is a commitment to cooperation through the cooperative program. And a fourth one is that we're going to, we're going to be engaged in the great commission. So we, we, you know, we tell churches and leaders, if those are your views, we want to partner with you. We do not make a basketball affiliation part of the tent. And so we have we have some big blue fans under the tent. We have some folks that bleed red under the tent. Um, my favorite, I don't watch basketball. I don't follow it at all or any sport, but typically I'll watch one basketball game a year. It's the UK versus UofL game, and, and I'll just keep quiet about my favorite of those two. 
<laughs> oh man. Well, Dr. Gray, that I, I'm from uh, North Carolina. It is a big, also college basketball state. I am from a family, a long line of tobacco farmers. So like all that stuff that you just said, just really, really resonates with me, even down to the barbecue and the preferences. There. Yeah. So yeah, look, we just, we just want to say we are so grateful uh, for the work that you do in leading Kentucky Baptists, and we are grateful to be partners with you in the gospel, and we just really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Josh and Lindsay and Brent, thank you for having me on, and thank you for your, your good work with, with the RLC. Thank you for it. So now it's time for The Lunchroom, where every week we tell you about the things we've been talking about with one another. Brent, you're up first this week, so tell us what's on your mind. All right, well, so I'll start with uh, one Sad note. So, um, Knoxville native and famed zoologist Jack Hanna is retiring from from public life. Uh, his family re- reported this week because he is now uh, unfortunately suffering from the effects of dementia. And I mean, I don't know if you know y'all grew up at all watching uh, Jack Hanna sometimes on Saturday mornings as a kid, but um, I mean that dude he was always you know handling snakes and spiders and, you know, putting his head inside of like a lion's mouth or something. I mean, just crazy stuff. And I just thought it was always cool to, to see the different things that he was doing with animals. And, um, yeah, it's just a shame, right. That, that, that he's dealing with this and I hate it. Uh, you know, my, my kids won't get to see, uh, any new shows from, from Jack Hanna, it sounds like. And, and so, um, yeah, it's just a sad development, sad development. So, Speaking of animals, uh, so Dr. Gray touched on this uh, during his interview. Uh, are you ready for cicadas? Okay, the locusts are, in fact, coming, uh, as he said. So uh, Vox uh, had a story about this. For 17 years, cicadas do very little. They hang out in the ground sucking sugar out of tree roots. I had no idea that that's what they did. Who knew? Uh, then following this absurdly long hibernation, they emerge from the ground, sprout wings, make tons of noise and die within a few weeks. So, uh, that happens once every 17 years, the brood that is, uh, appearing this year in the mid Atlantic States, uh, is known as brood X. That, that sounds very, very appropriate for well, 2020, and maybe for some of the first few months here of 2021. Uh, but they emerge when the ground reaches a temperature of around 64 degrees. So all of y'all listeners uh, who are out there in the mid-Atlantic states, be prepared uh, for this uh, this invasion. And I say that actually as somebody who uh, really appreciates uh, what the ambiance uh, that uh, cicadas provide for the the summer months. So I, I actually like hearing from cicadas, but anyways. I've been following the story really closely, Brent. Um, I was tracking with you until you got to appreciate the ambiance of cicadas because all I can think <laughs> about, all I can think about is them like smashing into like my garage door uh, and then having to like clean them up everywhere and knowing that there's going to be so many. Uh, yeah, I'm not, not excited. Also, the fact that they're in the ground for 17 years, the sugar thing I didn't know about. But then the really fascinating thing to me was they spend 17 years underground and then they come above ground to be annoying for like several weeks and then die. Like there's going to be millions. I mean, they said literally, I think I think that I read something that was like, there can be over a million in one acre of land. It's going to be right. that apocalyptic. Right, right. Yeah, pred- it, it said in the story, like predators 
there's so many of them that predators actually can't make a dent in the population because it just overwhelms the, uh, I guess, the local ecosystem. But anyway, so it's going no, it, to feel like real Old Testament, you know, like Exodus and the plagues. Th- this is going to feel like that. It is, yes. but less like, yeah, less like ambiance, more like terror. <laughs> just <laughs> terror, terrible. Well, okay. Why again, cicadas? Why, Lord, did you create such a creature? Okay, again, uh, admittedly, like, maybe I'm. It's like palmetto bugs. Why? That those are well. Those are gross. Th- those are actually gross. N- nobody needs flying cockroaches uh, in this world. Okay, <laughs> but that said, okay, maybe I'm being overly nostalgic here. But I'm just saying, like to me, uh, it's not a it's not a Tennessee summer without hearing from cicadas. So Tennessee in the summer months, the, the very end of the summer, you get uh, annual cicadas that come out, and I just I think they're great to hear. And so I don't know. We'll, we'll, well, we'll probably check back get, in with we'll you get once some we experience mail. the swarm. Yeah, exactly. You still feel that way, <laughs> right? All right, Lindsay, you're up next. So apparently I I stole one of Brent's from this week. And like he said, uh, it would not be a podcast episode if we did not talk about Gentle and Lowly, the book by Dane Ortland. And I'm going to talk about it because Crossway has offered to give free paperback copies to churches as long as supplies last. And you can order up to 208 of them. So that's pretty incredible. I think that's great. It's a great ministry opportunity as well. And so if you are um, involved in a church and you want to see your church benefit from this, then sign up now before uh, the supplies dwindle. And yes. then my final thing. Wait, wait. Uh, we got to affirm that, right? We, I mean, we got to say how yes. awesome this is. Like, Everybody listen, if you're a pastor, for it, say I. If you're a pastor. Or yay, or whatever you're supposed to say. <laughs> disciples, and now it's a Baptist meeting. Uh if you're a pastor, if you're a discipleship minister, you know, small group minister, what, I mean, hop on this. This is what an incredible resource and a way to bless your church. And I mean, gosh, Crossway, what 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 a great opportunity. So yes, I want to affirm this in the full Baptist meeting way that I can. <laughs> With a hearty yay. I yes, I, I have not gotten to read the book yet, uh, but I look forward to it. I have it. I look forward to it. And it is an incredible gift from Crossway to do this. And then finally, one of our coworkers shared on Slack this video of a white blood cell chasing bacterium in our uh, bloodstream. And it is fascinating. It's very short. So click on the link in the show notes. It is incredible. It looks like almost like a Pac-Man game. It's it's like this blob, which is the white blood cell chasing these little black flecks. And you watch how it goes in and out to try to, to get around the red blood cells, I'm assuming, and find this bacterium and it's like swallows it up. It is so amazing and just makes you in awe of our creator and how he designed our body. So watch and be amazed and then go play Pac-Man or something. Go play Pac-Man. Yeah, that actually was the reference that uh, did it for me, but it was pretty uh, pretty compelling. Speaking of uh, compelling video that went viral on the internet, so I think, Brent, didn't you drag me to see Godzilla a couple years ago? Isn't that a thing that happened? Well, yeah, dragging is not what happened. Uh, I made sure that you experienced uh, that movie. Yeah, so that happened, and I got to tell you, like, I've just never been a big fan of the whole, like, Godzilla 
franchise or idea or whatever. But there was a video floating around on the internet this week of some kind of lizard monster. I don't know exactly what it was, but crawling up the shelves in what I'm assuming is like an Asian supermarket or gas station or bodega or something. And um, it was frankly just terrifying to to see that. So uh, that's that's number one that's on my list of things I can't stop thinking about. I actually have three. Here comes the second one. I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast before, but for like a year and a half, I've been trying to like finish uh, this master's thesis I've been working on and writing. And by the grace of God, last Friday, I turned in my final draft. And honestly, it has been just the best week of not having that albatross just hanging around my neck. So anyway, been just celebrating. Want to celebrate with you for a second. And then I wanted to provide for my third thing, just an invitation, which is to say, look, in a few weeks, we're going to have the ERLC Academy coming up in May. And if you've never heard Russell Moore teach Christian ethics, this is an opportunity for you to do that across two days. If you're a student, you can do it for credit. Uh, You can visit the link in the show notes to find out how to do that and sign up or you're free to just watch if you're a pastor or a ministry leader or just an interested Christian, you're free to uh, to join us for that and just soak up all of, of the richness uh, from those two days of teaching. We're also streaming portions of it online. So it's something that I would love for you to check out and make plans for because it would be a really uh, great thing for you to be able to attend in some portion. You're welcome to come and join us in Nashville if you're able to do that on May 17th and 18th. Uh, Dr. Moore's going to be teaching Introduction to Christian Ethics. The link is in the show notes, and I would really, really encourage you to check it out. All right. So first, uh, it's a uh, it, it was a monitor lizard. It was not a monster lizard. It was a monitor lizard. So I mean, no, those, it was those a monster, like monster lizard. lizard. It was a lizard monster. Yeah. Yeah, those things exist. They're they're. Yeah, I mean, you just you just got to you just got to shoo them out. You feed them. You a must cicada. love their ambiance just like you do cicadas, <laughs> Brent. <laughs> Feed them a cicada and they'll creatures. they'll go out of the the local convenience store. Second, Josh, kudos. I'm so glad that that is no longer h- hanging over your head. I'm sure it is uh, going to be just an incredible piece of scholarship. Uh, so just really glad for you there. And yes, yes and Brent, ju- be- wait before you move on to number three, Brent Gary from our fourth dimension. Can you insert some kind of clapping? Something, another sound Yay! sound clip right here. Yay! Party, party emoji, party emoji. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, yes, uh, totally agree with you. ERLC Academy, come join us. We're going to be doing it in a uh, socially distant fashion, but it will be an opportunity to hear uh, from Dr. Moore live about Christian ethics. And honestly, I, I've seen this uh, two or three times now. And it is, it's so good. And uh, definitely want to welcome folks to to join us uh, here. Yeah, and I have to dunk on Josh real quick. If you come in person, then you'll probably get a chance to meet Josh in person. And then therefore, if you meet Josh in person, you will be dubbed one of his best friends because Josh has more best friends, so he says, than anyone else I know. And we tease him about it. Well, I tease him about it behind the scenes all the time. So if you would like to be included among Josh's best friends, come to the ERLC Academy and meet Josh in person. I don't know about for anyone else. That sounds like a strong selling point for me. And yes, if you want to be included in the penumbra of uh, best friends that that I'm privileged to have in my life, I would love to, to meet you and hang out with you. So yeah, we would love to have you come and join us. 
So that's going to do it for the show today. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Just as a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about in the show notes. And if you like the podcast and want to help us spread the word, you can share this episode on social media or go into your podcast app and leave us a rating or a brief review. But for Brent and Lindsay and myself, we want to say thanks so much for listening every week. And we look forward to being back next week with more content. Thank mm-hmm. you.